God, that's our prayer today, that we want to know your heart. We have come to, to this place to meet with you, to experience your presence, and to be led by you to know your heart, to experience you in a firsthand way that transforms us from the inside out, that we can be part of that hope rising, uh, that is rising up, a message in a dark place, in a dark world. God, there's just so much going on this week, and as a church, we just want to pray for a couple of those things. Lord, we want to pray, first of all, for our brothers and sisters in Iraq right now. They're just going through a time of tremendous persecution. God, we just pray against this Islamic State, this terrorism. Father, we pray that there's so many people that are suffering there of all different faiths because of this. And we just pray for your righteousness and your justice to reign. God, we pray for this tension in the Middle East and Israel. Lord, we pray for peace there. We pray for a resolution of this conflict between the Palestinians and Israelis. We pray, Lord, for righteousness and justice and peace to prevail. And God, we pray here for our own nation as we've seen another outbreak of racial um, tension in our country in Ferguson. God, we just pray for the day when the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we pray that we as a church, the church of Jesus in this country can be a, a picture of that, of racial reconciliation, of what it looks like to follow Christ, the true God, with one voice. And so God, we pray that we would be part of this hope rising, that's rising up for our community with a clear voice, a message of your love, a message of reconciliation, a message of justice and righteousness and peace in the midst of what your word calls a dark and evil age. And we pray that today, Lord, as we, we draw together, that you would draw us a little bit closer, that we would be like you and we'd be part of that hope of the world. We pray that in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, yeah. amen. Good morning, Rocky Peak. Good to see you. Hey, it's so good to be back with you. Go ahead and have a seat. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you, whether you're here in our interim worship center or you're back in our uh, uh, back overflow back there, I see you back there, or over in our live video venue this summer. We just want to welcome you today, especially if you're new. Um, uh, anyway, before we go into our time of teaching today, uh, you have a couple important announcements just to uh, get, get on your uh, radar. Uh, first of all, we're entering back in the fall. I know it doesn't really seem like that. Kids are back in school, though. And so uh, uh, what that means is that our life group session is going to be starting in September. And for those of you who are new here at Rocky Peak, you may not know this, that life groups are the hub or the core of our church. And so we say it's where real church happens. And so it's impossible in a large church like this to really build close relationship in a weekend service. So we need to break, take a big church and break it down. And so the way we do that here at Rocky Peak is through life groups. And so this fall, we'll have between 120 and 130 life groups that meet in the four valleys that we serve, uh, meeting weekly for 10 weeks to build relationships to grow together, to love one another, take care of one another, uh, and to unleash a movement, passionate Christ followers. And so I know a lot of you already signed up for your groups from last year, but if you're not currently in a group, signups will begin this Friday online. And so they'll, they'll run over the next three or four weeks, but obviously the sooner you sign up, the better. Now, uh, if you uh, uh, come next weekend, we'll have signups here in the patio. That'll be going on for the next three weeks, but you're also able to sign up uh, this Friday online. So we will send you an email telling you more about that, how to find out information about what the groups are, what days, times, types of groups they are, what they're studying, and so on. But just want to get you on that radar, especially if you're brand new, um, that, that you, you know, the, the earlier you sign up, the more choices you have. Uh, so uh, that, that, that'd be important for you to, to jump in early. Our goal uh, every year is to have 80% of our weekend attendance in small groups. As most of you know, last year we actually hit 88%. And so uh, we're excited about that. And the only reason I mention that, if you're new, this is where the action is. You know, so if you came in the spring or you came in the summer and you haven't, you know, you've never been in a small group or whatever, you're kind of on the fence. Let me just push you off the fence over into a life group because uh, your life will be different because of it. All right, so that's number one. Uh, secondly, I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, on September the 5th, which is a Friday night, we're having a, what we're calling a, a leadership vision night. Now, this is for all of our volunteers of all of our ministries. 
uh, and it's a time we're just going to have dinner together, some worship. I'm going to cast some vision, some videos of where we're going in the fall. And so for all of our volunteers, so if you're here and you're a volunteer here at Rocky Peak, you should have received both an email invite and a hard copy snail mail invite by now. And so if you, uh, on there, you are asked to RSVP. If you haven't RSVP'd, please do that as, as soon as possible because we're going to be providing dinner and we need to prepare for you. Uh, if you have kids you're bringing for childcare, we need to know that. And so if you haven't done that, please do me a favor of, of doing that. And if you're saying, man, I would really love to come, but I'm not involved in a ministry, well, it's a great opportunity to get involved. So you still got a couple weeks. So uh, sign up and then uh, you'll, be, you'll be good to go. So, um, all right, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, stand up, greet one another, say hi to one another, and I'll get ready to go. Hey, well, it's great to be back. Uh, Lynn and I were away for about 10 days, uh, took some uh, vacation, some R&R, and uh, you were in great hands. I heard great things about the, the series that you had, um, and uh, just kind of on pace of life and what it looked like. And so, uh, but today we're going to be uh, starting a new series. And so, um, if you're brand new, you may not know this, but inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. So I encourage you to take that out. It's green and white. That'll help you follow along. And if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited uh, to be here together at the, on the verge of starting a whole new series and on just such an epic topic, uh, the creation of the world and, and the early days of our planet and what it tells us about your vision uh, for our world and for our lives and, and what it takes to experience that. And so, God, we pray today you would come in your power and your fullness and your spirit. We pray that as a church, you give us ears to hear what your word will say to us. And I pray for me uh, as, as speaking, that you would just speak through me uh, powerfully, clearly, uh, the words, the flow, the, the, the uh, humility, the, um, the humor, just all that it takes, Lord, to bring together this so you, we can hear your voice. We pray that in your name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing this brand new, or continue, look at me. I'm like, so, I'm like autopilot, you know? It's like, we are in uh, the Gospel of Mark, right? It's like we've been there for a year and a half. <laughs> so, no, we're starting a brand new series. I got to practice that one. By 11 o'clock, I'll get it right. Last night, I screwed it up too. Uh, we're starting a brand new series. You can see the, the Genesis Chronicles, uh, the story begins. And uh, I'm really excited about this series. I've been preparing for it for several months and really excited about it um, because in this series, uh, this, this series is really going to focus on the first three chapters of Genesis. It's actually a trilogy of series, much like our last trilogy, except it won't last for a year and a half. Uh, we're just going to be in this for uh, three months uh, or four months up to the start of the new year, just for the fall. And I, I'm really excited about this series because... Uh, because in this series, it lays a foundation. These opening three chapters of Genesis, uh, God lays a foundation for the whole story that he wants to tell in the Bible. In many ways, I look at these opening chapters of Genesis like the opening chapters of an epic novel uh, where God is kind of, uh, where, the, where the author is sort of introducing the characters, uh, setting the scene and the stage. Uh, kind of the time, the era, what's going on. Uh, introducing the plot line. Often in an epic novel, you'll have the, the key conflict early on in the first few chapters. It's not going to be resolved until the final chapter. And in the exact same way, uh, as we open these opening chapters of Genesis, God is, is setting the stage for the story that he's going to tell throughout the whole Bible. In fact, these opening three chapters of Genesis, I look like them as a window into the whole Bible. Like, they, like if you peer through them, you can see the whole story from beginning to end, and we will be doing that every week. Kind of the big picture story that God is telling in all the Bible, we'll see that through the lens of Genesis 1 to 3. And so it's, a, it's incredible, there's incredible three chapters because they're going to give us big picture information about who God is, who we are, how our relationship with him works, his vision for our life, the path to the good life, but they're also incredibly practical because they're going to raise uh, uh, important topics every week, topics like uh, the place of work in our life, our, our, our callings in our career. We're going to address the topics like uh, work-life balance. We're going to talk about uh, marriage and kids and family. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about uh, temptation and spiritual warfare. And so it's incredibly epic uh, scene, and yet it raises incredibly practical uh, topics. And we're going, to, we're going to get the whole Bible through these opening three chapters of Genesis. 
But the, the funny thing is, though, that is that when, the moment you step into these opening chapters of Genesis, in many ways, it feels like you're stepping into a different world. Uh, now, for those of us who are longtime Christians, we're so familiar with this, we often miss this, miss the obvious. But if you're new at this, I mean, the moment you step into the opening three chapters of Genesis, it's almost like you feel like you've stepped into an alternate universe, right? It's, it's, like, it's like stepping into the Chronicles of Narnia or, or stepping into Middle Earth of Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings. I mean, you step into a world where the whole creation, the whole cosmos is created in six days, not 18.5 billion years, like most modern scientists believe. You step into a world where the first man and first woman are created by a, a personal act of a personal God, not the random change, uh, random collisions of evolution over millions of years. You step into a world where there is a kind of a, 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 a nature preserve, an incredible nature preserve or garden where the story is set, where there are two trees that hold the power of life and death and what you eat determines not only your destiny but the destiny of the race. You step into a world where I like to put it where God walks and a snake talks, right? <laughs> and, and so it's like, whoa, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, like, like, like how are we supposed to understand? So what we're gonna be doing on this journey over the next three months is we're gonna be unpacking these first three chapters of Genesis, and what we're gonna be doing every week is going to God saying, God, would you lead us? Would you teach us? Would you meet us during this series, and would you show us who you are, who we are, and the path to life, your vision for our lives, all right? So today we're gonna to jump in, and, and uh, we're gonna look at just the first two verses of uh, chapter one. Uh, what I'd really encourage you to do is that uh, every week, the, the, the topics in this series are gonna be epic, uh, either epic in big picture, uh, vision for our lives, or epic in, in kind of a, a, a prototypical way, what's God's vision for marriage, or what's God's vision for sexuality. Big topics, right? And so you don't wanna miss uh, any one, and so we, a lot of you don't know this, but uh, all of our messages are available online uh, each week. They're uh, like video podcasts. Uh, you can go onto iTunes and download it. If you didn't know that, you can just subscribe there, and so if you ever have to be away on business or vacation or or flakiness, or whatever it is, uh, just encourage you to stay up with this. Don't miss a week, because it's going to be good stuff, all right? So, hey, before we go on, jump in, though, and look at these first two verses, we need to start first and talk about some kind of big picture questions that you ask whenever you start any new study of any book in the Bible, and, and it's questions like, like, who wrote this, and when did they write it, and, and, why, or, and why did they write it? And there on your note sheet, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's really important. Uh, there's a section called the, the Genesis Chronicles, when, uh, who, when, and why. And I want to spend a couple minutes because understanding who wrote it, when it was written, and why it was written is really important understanding what the message is about and how we interpret it, whether it's Genesis or any part of the Bible. And so here's what happens is when we, we, we ask the question, who wrote the book of Genesis, the consistent answer that the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus gives us is that Moses was the primary author of the first five books of the Bible. Not just Genesis, but the first five books of the Bible. In fact, we should look at the first five books of the Bible as all kind of part of one story. Uh, much like if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, there are seven books, but they all are interrelated. If you read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there's three books, but they're all interrelated. The, the, and the same way, these first five books of the Bible, we call the Law of Moses, or the Torah, or the Pentateuch. Uh, Penta, Penta means five, Tuch means book, five books. That this, this, this whole, uh, uh, this Torah is part of one story. Five books, one story. We need to remember that, written by one author, all kind of related. Now, when we say that Moses is the author, uh, we don't, that I'm sure that Moses used other sources at points. Like if you read through uh, Genesis, there's these long genealogies. I'm sure he had other resources at his, um, at his available. Remember that Moses was uniquely prepared to write this, well qualified. 
Uh, Moses, as you know, most of you have seen the movie, right? Disney or uh, whatever. Uh, uh, whatever. Uh, it's not really Disney. What is the picture? No. Who, who wrote? Anyway, DreamWorks. Uh, so you know how this goes. That Moses was, uh, you know, he was, he was born to slave parents, uh, Jewish slave parents in, in Egypt, uh, that he was uh, rescued from death by the, the daughter of Pharaoh and raised in the courts of, Fa- of Pharaoh. Remember that Egypt at the time was one of the superpowers of the world. And so he was raised with the finest education of the day, which not only means that he was, could read and write, but he was exposed to all the literature of the day, which really plays into Genesis. Because as we'll be talking about today, there are many creation myths that were around at this time. There were many different creation stories. There were Babylonian creation stories. There were uh, Egyptian uh, creation stories. There were Canaanite Egyptian. And Moses would have been familiar with all of those uh, from his study in the, the best education of the day in the land of Egypt, like the Harvard of, of the day. And so, uh, but on top of that, Moses uh, was the man called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery and into their future. And so he was the man that God appeared to at the burning bush. And then you remember after he led Israel out of slavery, they come to Mount Sinai. God reveals himself to Moses on top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. And then throughout his life over the next 40 years, and we're told in Exodus 33 that God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. And so he's, uh, he's uniquely qualified to write this, these opening five, uh, five, five um, books. Now, uh, this Moses was born about in the 1500s BC, right? So it's during the time of the Pharaohs, uh, and so he's going to write these. Uh, he's going to write these uh, five books in the uh, early 1400s. Like I said, he probably used some other resources for some of that, and we know that other editors after he was dead that kind of co- compiled his writings, and they're going to edit them some and put them together in the package we have. But Moses is the primary uh, author. Now, the question is, why did Moses write? And this is extremely important because we often look at the Bible as if it's just dropped from heaven, this magic book, right? This kind of magic book, you turn around one day, here's the Bible. But the original authors always write for a specific audience, a specific time, and a specific place. And by understanding that, it helps us to understand the message. And it's important for us to understand that Moses primarily wrote the book of Genesis and the other five books of the law of Moses, not for us. He wrote them for the nation of Israel, right? He wrote them to help them understand who this God was who rescued them from slavery split the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, revealed himself at Mount Sinai, and has sustained them for the last 40 years, And so he's writing primarily for them to understand who this God is, a little bit about the history of our race, but primarily, catch this, primarily to understand who they are and the part they play in this larger story that God's telling. And this is why when you, if you look at the book of Genesis, it's 50 chapters long, but only 11 chapters, about 12%, uh, I mean, about 20% focuses on the history of the world as the world. These opening 11 chapters, that we're going to be studying three of those, 80% focuses on the story of Israel. And so in chapter 12, uh, we have the story of God calling this one man Abraham, right? And, and the rest of Genesis could be a story about what happens to Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, and his 12 great-grandsons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when we end the book of Genesis, this family of about 70 people that would eventually become the Jewish Jewish nation are moving down to Egypt under Joseph, and Genesis ends with them in Egypt, ready to start the second book of the five books, Exodus, where Moses comes to rescue him after 400 years of slavery. Are you following me this? So, so here's what I want you to catch is often we come to Genesis, and we'll talk this, about this many times today and throughout the series. We come to Genesis with all kinds of modern scientific questions that Genesis was never written to answer. 
And this is going to be important for us as we go through. We're going to come, we're going to ask, well, well how old is the earth? And how, how long, were the days literal days, six days? Or were they 24-hour days? Or were they, you know, where, where the dinosaurs fit in or whatever? And, and that's all fine and that's good. And they're great questions. We can answer those questions. We will ask those questions. But what I want you to catch, and this is important, is that when Moses wrote this, he didn't write it to answer those questions. He wrote it for the nation of Israel to help them understand who this God was who just rescued them. You see? And we'll be talking about that more today. So with that as a quick intro, uh, what I want to do now is take uh, the, the rest of our time, we're going to unpack a couple verses, the first two verses that serve as an intro to the creation account in chapter one, it runs around the beginning of chapter two, and then we're going to come back and make, kind of make one big picture principle that's going to drive us through the whole series, and then two practical, I'm calling it epic questions that flow out of that. So there in your note sheet, you have a section this is called the Genesis Chronicles, uh, the creation stage one. And uh, we're going to go off to a rip-roaring start, two verses. <laughs> you long-timers are like, wow, we're moving fast. No. <laughs> Usually the introduction, we don't even get into it. All right. So it starts off, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, a couple things I want to point out here. I'm going to unpack this a little bit. First of all, let's talk about that phrase, in the beginning. That in Hebrew uh, is, is a word called, it's, it's called like, it's going like this, bereshit, bereshit, right? So, I mean, in the beginning, bereshit. It's the first word in the Hebrew Bible. Now, this is interesting. In the Hebrew Bible, the first book in the Bible is not called Genesis. It's called bereshit. In the first five books of Moses, they don't, the titles that we have in them today were not the Hebrew titles. They didn't have titles originally. It's all part of one big thing. So what they would do is they would, the, the way they would title it is with the first word in, the, in each book. The, and the first one here is Bereshit. Now, it says, now uh, so it says, you know, in the beginning. Now, the name Genesis comes later. That comes in the early church history, you know, after the time of Jesus, when the early church fathers, they began to call it genesis, which is a Greek word that means origins or beginnings. And this is a perfect title because this is exactly what genesis is about. It's about origins, it's about beginning, the, the beginning of the world, the beginning of the human race, the beginning of Sabbath, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sin and death and destruction, the beginning of the promise that one day God will turn all wrongs to right, and the beginning of his method to restore the world, the raising up this one family through Abraham. Right? So it's a story of uh, beginnings. So it says, in the beginning, Bereshit, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, which is a, a, a Jewish way of saying heavens, of saying the entire cosmos, heavens and the earth. Now, I want to stop here for a second, and I want to point out something very important. Uh, Moses didn't write this for pagans. He wrote this for the nation of Israel. And so when he wrote this, uh, the nation of Israel had recently come out of slavery in e Egypt. And so what I'm going to catch is he's not explaining who God is. He's not like this, hey, let me tell you about God. They knew God, right? They had experienced God. God, Yahweh, had rescued them out of Egypt. God, Yahweh, had brought the 10 plagues on Pharaoh that forced his hand. Yahweh had split the Red Sea. Yahweh had led them through the wilderness, pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. Yahweh had appeared at Mount Sinai and revealed himself. Yahweh had fed them with manna for the last 40 years and protected them. So they had experienced this God, Yahweh, this God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had revealed himself by this new name to Moses, Yahweh. But I want you to catch this. They had not grown up with much knowledge of this God. Genesis had not been written yet. 
they had grown up in a pagan culture that had very different teachings about the creation and origin of the world. They had grown up in Egypt where the Nile was worshiped as a god. They had grown up in Egypt where the sun was worshiped as a god. They had grown up in Egypt where the moon was worshiped as a god. The stories that they had been raised with or they had heard in their culture were story about, uh, the, uh, about gods in warfare and having a war, and as a result of the war, the creation was produced. They're familiar with the different stories, creation accounts of ancient times, whether it's from Egypt or Babylon or Samaria, or they're from the Canaanites, of gods having sex with one another, and that's why the world is, is here. Like, this is the story. They're not, they've not heard a story of one God creating. They've heard of many gods having wars and all, and the earth is an aftermath. That wasn't even an intentional thing. This is what they've been raised on. And here is what Moses comes to him and says, no, those stories are all wrong. That there's only one God. And that God The God who rescued you from Egypt and has been your savior, that God is the creator of everything that there is, the heavens and the earth. And so he says, in the beginning, God, your God created the heavens and the earth. But notice what he says here. He says, but the earth was formless and empty. And so he says, uh, what Moses seems to be painting a picture of is that when God created, he created initially the raw materials of creation, if you will, and yet the place was a mess. It was was formless, it was empty, it wasn't fit for human life. In fact, in the Hebrew, this is very poetic, and one of the things we'll talk about is these opening chapters of Genesis are works of art, You don't see it as much in English, but when you study in Hebrew, they are carefully crafted works of literature. For example, uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but uh, this word for create that that we'll talk about in a few minutes, it's used three times. The creation takes place in seven days. God speaks 10 times. Three times he blesses. There's this very careful scripting of this whole account describing this incredible creation and this incredible, uh, this incredible literature. And these opening words, there very many times are, are written with alliteration, key words. Uh, and this is interesting because as it starts off, it says that in our English text here, it says the earth was formless and empty. You know how that reads in Hebrew? It reads like this, the land was tohu vabohu. (laughs) And here's what's interesting. Tohu vabohu, in other places in the writings of Moses and in the Old Testament, it describes a barren wasteland, a place uninhabitable for human life. And so what Moses is saying is in the beginning, Bereshit, God created the raw materials, but the place was a mess. And you say, well, what, what, would it, what would it have looked like if I was there? And he says, well, he says, the earth was tohu vabohu, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, the waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What would you have seen if you were there? He says, what you would have seen is a dark, you wouldn't have seen anything, it was dark, water world, no division, no separation, no land, sea, and sky, no living beings. It was this dark water world. He says, but, he says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Now, this is fascinating. That word for hover uh, is a word that Moses will use. Remember this five-volume series, right? The Chronicles of Genesis, we're calling it Genesis Chronicles. Moses will use a couple key words 
at the end of the last volume in Deuteronomy that he uses here at the beginning of Genesis. It's almost like he's wrapping it up. And in Deuteronomy 32, the last of the five volumes, God says this, that he says, I found Israel in the wilderness, talking about the nation of Israel. He says, I found God in the wilderness. It was tohu in a barren place. And then he says that he became the apple of my eye. And it says that as an eagle rouses its young from the nest to teach him how to fly, and then as he hovers over them and then flies beneath them to catch them, he says, that's how I was with Israel. Israel was the apple of my eye. I found them in a barren place, a tohu place, and then I hovered over them to teach them how to thrive. And so this, this word here for hover is just the same word of an eagle hovering over its young. And here's what I want you to catch. In the beginning, God creates the world, but it is shadowed in deep darkness. It's a water world, uninhabitable for life. But God is there hovering over his creation, and he has a vision for his creation. And over the next six days, he's in the first three days, he's going to form the three major environments that we know, the, the sky, the land, and the sea. And the, in the second three days, he's going to fill those environments in the order that he formed them. And God has a vision for this creation that starts with darkness. We're going to talk about that later, how that fits in our lives, all right? And so there, there's the first two verses. Now, Here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, I want to do a couple things. First of all, I want to start with a big picture principle that's going to cover us all through this trilogy. All right, as we introduce, uh, that's going to flood this passage on the, as we talk about the chronicles of Genesis. Uh, and then uh, secondly, I want to come back and ask two epic questions that flood this that will carry us all the way through this series uh, for our lives. And so there on your note sheet, you have a section this is called the Genesis Chronicles, the creator and the creation. And so here we go. Let's go with the big picture principle, and then we'll come back with the two questions. Uh, the, first, the principle goes like this, that the one thing we're going to see in these, these opening three chapters of Genesis, week by week, is that the Chronicles reveal the creator. These opening chapters, these opening Chronicles of Genesis, they reveal the creator. Now, this is important because uh, often, even as Christ's followers, as we read the opening chapters of this Chronicles, we miss the obvious. Often when we come to opening chapters of Genesis, we come with all of our modern questions that are, are great questions, and we'll talk about some of those questions. But we come with so many of our modern questions that we miss the obvious, we begin reading Genesis chapter one, and we start asking questions: Was was it really? Were there six literal days? Are these like symbolic days or longer days? We start asking questions like: Did God really like form Adam uh, out of the dust of the ground? Does that really happen? Is that what he's saying? Or hey, did the snake really talk? And we start asking all these modern questions, and what happens is not that they're bad questions, but we miss the obvious. And the obvious is that these opening chapters of Genesis are written by Moses to reveal who the creator is. That they're written to Israel to help them understand the creation stories you've heard are not the way it happened. That's not the way it is. And there are not many gods. There is this one God, and he, this God, he is, as we will see in this series, he is amazing. He is brilliant. He is powerful. He speaks worlds into existence. He is incredibly creative. He is abundantly generous. He is tremendously beautiful. And he is absolutely good. And in every week of this series, we're going to see the creator revealed to us 
who this God is who made us. And so over and over again in the Bible, it brings us back to this core reality that we are created beings. We are not alone in the universe. There is a creator who is amazing, who's brilliant, who's powerful, who's generous, who's beautiful, and who's absolutely good. And every week we're going to come back to it. And you see it here in this opening chapter in the, in the very use of the words that Moses uses. I want you to go back to verse one, and I want to point out just one important word. It says, in the beginning, Bereshit, God created everything. Every molecule that moves. This is one of the core teachings of the Bible that is one of the most important spiritual foundations of our life, that there is a creator who is the source of everything you see. And the word that Moses uses here to communicate is a powerful word. In Hebrew, it's a word that's called bara. Bara, B-A-R-A, bara. And it's such an interesting word because in the Old Testament, the word bara is used 50 times. But I want you to catch this. It is never once used to describe something a human being does. God does, I mean, human beings don't barah things. <laughs> we think up things. We design things. We make things. We forge things. We build things. We shape things but we do not barah things. There is only one who barahs. As, as, as the New Testament will put, to create out of nothing. Uh, it, hey, you may come up with a great idea, but trust me, you didn't come up with your own brain. <laughs> like you started with something. You might make something, but whatever you make is made out of something that was already made. And one of the core spiritual principles of the Bible is there is only one God, and he is the one who barahs things. He is the creator of all things. And it's one of the core spiritual principles of our life. The Bible brings us back to again and again. And we'll see examples of that today. But what I want you to catch is these opening three chapters of Genesis. As we look at some of the modern questions we have, I don't want us to miss the big picture. That Moses didn't write Genesis 1 through 3 so we know where the dinosaurs fit in. He wrote it to reveal who our creator is, and that he is brilliant. He is bigger than you can imagine. He is smarter than you could even begin to think. He is so powerful. He speaks galaxies into existence with the mere sound of his voice. That he is incredibly creative. That he is intrinsically beautiful, as we'll see reflected in his creation. He is outstandingly generous. And that he is completely and totally good. And that's what we're going to be discovering. This God that's being revealed as our creator. All right? Now, it leads to a couple questions. They're in your note sheet. Uh, I want these questions to be with you, stay with us all through this series, uh, and, and I hope that you're, you're, the, the way you answer them is impacted uh, by the end of this, this series. But the, the first question I have uh, is there in your notes, the Genesis, Genesis Chronicles, two epic questions. First question is, who is God to you? Who is God to you? This is one of the most critical questions of life. We'll talk more about this in a few minutes. But you know, in, in, uh, in Moses' day, um, there were many different view about, views about God and creation. Like this wasn't the only one around, right? It was, 
there's Babylonian myths, and there's, there's uh, Sumerian and Canaanite and Egyptian, right? And so there's many competing views of who God is and how this creation came to be. And that's, a, that's also true in our world today, isn't it? And, and so, like, in our world today, who is God and how did creation to be, um, there are many com- com- competing views. And so, for example, uh, in our world today, one of the more uh, kind of increasingly popular view is that there is no God, right? You've read The New Atheist or seen those, bestsellers, whatever, that there is no God, that all there is is eternal matter, that the, the universe has always been, and that everything we see in, in the cosmos is just a result of a huge explosion that took, that took place 18.5 billion years ago and a series of random collisions over a long period of time that we are here, that you are here, that everything is here, is one big accident. Right? Now, it's an increasingly popular view. But it's a very, it's a very real view, isn't it? People you work with, people in your families, many of them hold that view today. Now, of course, there's challenges if you hold that view, right? Like you have to explain things like, well, how did everything come out of nothing, right? You, you have to explain things like, wait a second, like if, if everything in the world is a result of one big, long billions of billions and trillions and quadzillions or whatever of accidents, over a long period of time, how do we end up with a world that so appears so carefully designed with so much beauty and order and structure, whether it's at the macro level of the cosmos or the micro level of subatomic particles, how did that happen, right? You have to be able to answer that question. And you also have to be able to answer this question, how did an impersonal universe create personal beings? Right? Like, like, for example, you and I, we, we live, we laugh, we love, we cry. We have a strong sense of moral right and wrong and justice and injustice. I mean, this morning, we prayed, right? We prayed over the situation with his, this Islamic state that is taking over in Iraq and over in Syria, right? Where they're rounding up anyone who doesn't agree with them and they're murdering people, and they're burying people alive, and they're beheading people, right? And we look at that, and we say, that is not right. That is wrong. And there's a strong sense of moral injustice and even rage that comes with that. We look at a situation that's happening over in Israel between Israel and the Palestinians, and this is not right, this is, this is an evil thing. This is not right. Something needs to be done. We look at the nation of Syria that has had over 200,000 people in the last few years have been slaughtered in Syria alone. We say, this is not right. We look at our country. We look at what's going on in Ferguson. We look at the racial tensions in our neighborhood. This is not right. And you ask the question, if we are simply the result of impersonal forces colliding randomly over billions of years, if we are just the result of an accident, where do we ever get the notion of right and wrong? We may have differences of opinion over what is right and what is wrong, but I'm telling you, we have a strong sense there is a right and wrong, don't we? If you don't believe me, wait till someone cuts you off on the 405. (laughs) And you're going to find that is an unjust action, and you need to pay. And if there's not a cop around, I will make you pay. (laughs) And so if you embrace this view of there is no God. The universe is all there is. Everything is a result of accident. You have to be able to explain how did an impersonal universe create personal beings that live and laugh and love and care and have a strong moral sense of justice. You got to explain that. 
In our culture today, another extremely popular view. Many of you have held this view. Some of you may hold it now. Uh, you've got family members. It's probably the most popular view is that there is, there's not a personal God out there, but there is something out there. There's a life force out there, right? And there's, there's a life force and you're part of it and I'm part of it and we're all part of it. And there's kind of this energy force and and there's just sort of like all the religions are part of it and you call us by different names and there's a God many different names, but it's all the same thing. We're all on different paths and we're all going the same thing. It's kind of like Oprah religion, right? <laughs> and so, but the problem with that is, you got a couple problems with that. Well, first of all, this idea that we're all saying the same thing. Like, have you ever really studied what everyone's saying? All these different things are saying? They're saying things that are mutually exclusive. Things that are directly opposed to one another about who God is and who we are. I mean, you're really going to go to the Sunnis and the Shiites and say, you're all saying the same thing? How do you think that's going to fly? Right? But you have a bigger problem. And the bigger problem, if God is all there is, and the tree is God, and I'm God. By the way, this is why in our world today, there is such a big push for environmentalism. And I want to be very clear on this, that as Christ's followers, we are called to tend and guard creation. We are the protectors of this, of this world. right? So, so Christians should be at the forefront of tending the garden, right? That, that's, that's part of our God-given cultural mandate to take care of this world. So don't misunderstand me. But there is something wrong when we're more concerned with saving baby seals than we are with concerned with saving babies, right? And, and what, 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 what's happened? What's happened is that we have bought into that, hey, that we're all this one energy. For, we're all part of this. There's all... God's in you, God's in me, God's in the tree. We're all in this thing together. There's only one thing. It's God and it's all of us. But the problem if you buy into that is how do you explain evil in the world? Is God part of the massacres of the Islamic State that are going on? Is that God? If God is all there is, is that God? The loss of life in Israel and Gaza right now, is that, is that God? You see someone blown up, their legs blown up, is that God? You tell me that's God? You see the Ebola virus that's threatening our world, is that God? You see the, the racial tension and hatred that's going on in Ferguson, is that God? Now you see, if God is all there is, you got a problem. And then there's others in our culture that say, no, hey, we got a different explanation. We, we look at the universe and we would agree, there's incredible design. Next week we'll talk about this just a little bit, but some of the greatest uh, physicists of our world today will say there's absolutely, there's, there's no way there was an accident. Like there's, there's a, there's a, there had to be a design here. They're not believers, they're not Christ followers, they're not even, but, they'll say, but, there, but there, there's, got, there's something behind this thing. It's, it's, it's obvious. But they'll say, but we don't believe that something or someone is knowable. And so then the, the question that you're left with is, and then, then basically what you're saying is that we're alone in the universe. There, there may be a God of some sort. Obviously, there's evidence. But maybe he finished the job and threw away the key, and he left, or we don't know what's going on. But we're alone in the universe, and there is no direction in life. There's, there's no way that we can find a sense of meaning or purpose because there is no meaning or purpose. There's no sense of right and wrong that's absolute in any way because there's, there's no kind of reference point. Are, are you with me here? And, and so here's what I want you to catch. In Moses' day, there were different view of gods and creation. Hey, there are many gods. These gods are part of our world. We worship the sun god. We worship the... Moon God, we worship the Nile. 
The creation is an afterthought. It's, just, it's kind of an accident. It's a result of war with the gods or sex with the gods. There were many different views. In our world today, there are many different views. And against that, the chronicles of Genesis come and say, let me tell you a different story. And the story is that there is a real God. And he is not this mystical, out there energy force. He's a personal God. He speaks. He acts. He can be known. And this God, who's incredibly bright, incredibly powerful, incredibly beautiful and generous, this God, who is absolutely good, created all things. And because of that, our lives have meaning, and they have purpose, and they have value, and they have significance, and there is a path to life, and you can find it in relationship as you come under the leadership of this God who created you. And that is the story of Genesis. The question is, who is God to you? There in your note sheet, there's a great quote by a famous Christian pastor, leader, author from the early 1900s. His name is A.W. Tozer. He wrote a very famous book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And I want you to catch this. It's the second quote there in your note sheet. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous or important fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Who is God to you? What do you believe about God? What do you believe of this creation? And let me tell you something. This is, this is not just theoretical. It's not just theological. It's immensely practical. Because let me tell you this. The bigger your God is, the better your God is, the more personal your God is, the smaller your problems become. The smaller your God is, the worse your God is. The more impersonal your God is, the bigger your problems become. And you see this worked out in the Bible. This is why the Bible so many times takes us back to the beginning about the creator. Hey, do you remember, like, what do you believe about God? Uh, great example, nation of Israel. Uh, they, they, you know, after hundreds of years of disobedience, uh, God's warned them, if you don't get your act together, come under my leadership, I'm, you're going to lose your land, you're going to lose your nation, you're going to be exiled. In 586 BC, they're taken away to Babylon, right? And so now they're in Babylon. And, it, and it's like, this is where they started. They started in Egypt in slavery. Now they're in Babylon in slavery. It's like, it's like deja vu, right? And there, and there was wondering, like, have we gone too far? I mean, does God even know we're here? I mean, you know, he was at the temple, and the temple, the temple got destroyed, and that's over a 1,000 miles away. Does he even know what's going on in Babylon? Is he even here? And if he, if he even knows, does he have power to do anything? Like, Babylon's like superpower. They're like Egypt was back in the day. And if he has power, does he care? Does he care about us? Have we gone too far? Does he even know? Does he have power? Does he care? Who's the God? And here's what God says to him through the prophet Isaiah there in your note sheet. I want you to see how God takes him back to who he is as creator. And he says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. You know, look up at the stars. Who created all these? I want you to think about this. This week, I, I can never remember this. I had to go online to check it out. You know how many stars are in our galaxy? Like the Milky Way galaxy. Like I can never remember. I know it's a ton, right? Okay, 300 billion. That's a lot of stars. 
And then you say, well, how many galaxies are there? Well, we don't know that for sure because we don't have any telescopes to go that far. But their estimate, current estimate, is 100 billion. And so Israel's like, God, we're not sure if you see us. We're over in Babylon, it's a thousand miles away. We knew you used to live in the temple, your house, and then it got struck down. We're not sure if you're homeless now or what, but we got different gods over here. We got like Marduk over here. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, I don't know. We got different gods and different whole thing. You know, we're not even sure you're even aware of us. And God's like, uh, go outside, look up. <laughs> Lift your eyes. Look to the heavens, who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. It's kind of like a pet name for every star. Hey, Betelgeuse, good to see you. Uh, <laughs> because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them's missing. You know, as modern day Christ followers, we have such an advantage because we understand the size of the universe and the complexity of life at a level they never could have imagined. And, and so we have an insight into the brilliance and size of our creator. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Like he doesn't see. My cause is disregarded by God. Like he doesn't care. He says, don't you know? Haven't you heard? Like where have you been? The Lord, you know, Yahweh, all caps, is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. His understanding is so bright, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, people like you. He gives, increases the power of the weak. And even youths, they grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in Yahweh will renew their strength. And they'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So Israel, don't give up. And I'm with you. I see you. I care about you. I'm big enough to deal with a superpower. Trust me. And so over and over again, the Bible will take us back and say, who is your God? What do you believe about him? He is the creator of the universe. And so the question I would ask you as we go through this series is, how big is your God? Who is your God? Is he the God of the Genesis Chronicles? Is the God of the philosophers? Is this the, the God of the deists? Is it the God of the naturalists? Is it the God of monism? All things are one? Who is your God? And then number two, the second question, and we'll just hit this quick and then we'll be done. Where do you need God to hover? I'm gonna break this down a little bit. Uh, if you go back to verse two, chapter one and verse two, we saw this. The earth was formless, it was empty, darkness was over the, the surface. It's like it was a mess dark water world, but good news was the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. But like, in, like that eagle hovering over his young, that like God's got a vision. The, the, the world's a mess, it's dark, it's wet. Nothing's there, no differentiation, but God has a vision and the Spirit of God is hovering over his creation and in the next six days he's gonna call forth beauty and life in order out of the darkness. And can I tell you something? This has been such a powerful image for my life. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed this verse over my life. Prayed it over my family, my wife, our marriage, the ministry here at Rocky Peak or in the past other churches or our nation, right? What I want you to catch is God has a vision for your life. You know, in the Bible it says in 2 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul uses, he goes back to the Genesis, he uses creation account. He says, you know, when any person comes to Jesus and they're born again uh, and they start a new life, their eyes are open, he says it's like a new creation. 
So he says, so um, it's like the first creation got messed up. Jesus being resurrected from the dead is start of a new creation. And when you become a follower of Jesus and he opens your eyes and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are a part of that new creation. It started. And so a lot of you know this verse, but some of you don't. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It's not on your note sheet. But it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that's not just a, a hey, I get a thesaurus out. What word can I use here? Paul is referring back to the creation account. And what he's saying is the same God who created out of nothing has created in your life. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this is the God who said, let there be light is the God who has shown in our hearts to reveal the glory of God in the face of Christ. Like when someone comes to Jesus Light dawns. God says, let there be light. And the eyes are open and we come to Christ and we're born again and a new creation starts. He's got a vision for our life. And just like he had a vision for his creation, he's got a vision for your life. And, and so many times I've gone to God and say, I, I don't know what you want to do with my life, but I ask you to hover over the darkness and call forth beautiful things. And men and women, this becomes especially powerful in times where you're experiencing darkness. When your marriage is a mess, your finances are a mess, your kids are a mess because of you. Uh, <laughs> just saying. Uh, you know, your dating life is a mess. Your sexuality, your, your, your moral life is a mess. Your relationship with God is a mess. And you don't know where to turn. And you don't know what to do. And it's so screwed up. You don't have answers. You've done everything you know how. It's all failed. Your life is in darkness. At those times, what a powerful thing to come to the creator. And to say, Spirit of God, I need you to hover over my life. I don't know which end is up, and I need you to call forth beauty and order and purpose and vision. And this is the message of Genesis. The message of Genesis is that when we come back into right order under our creator, we stop trying to run our own lives, and we come under the leadership of our creator, that the Spirit of God will begin to hover over our lives and call forth beautiful things. In fact, the nation of Israel, you know, we looked at chapter 40. They're in Babylon of Isaiah, chapter 40. They're in Babylon. They're wondering where God is. And three chapters later, this is what he says. They're in your note sheet. They're in Babylon, and they're remembering the good old days. You know, have you ever done this? Remember the good old Hey, remember back when we were in slavery in Egypt? You know, like like a 1,000 years ago or 800 years ago. And remember how cool it was that God sent Moses and he rescued us it was like a great exodus? Like that's what we need again, but that's not gonna happen. God doesn't know, God's not powerful. We're back in slavery again, different superpowers, same story, but, but, but nothing's happening here and we're just stuck here in Babylon. That's never gonna happen. And so we just kind of look back and we're gonna remember the good old days when God was really God, you know, and he was kind of living off his reputation like he is now. And he's kind of back there. And those were the good old days. And let's remember when God was like really cool and when God was God. And it's in that context, and that's exactly the context of Isaiah 43, and here's what God says to Israel. He says, forget the former things. <laughs> what, what former? Like, like the Exodus he's talking about. Like when God brought him through the Red Sea. He says, forget that stuff. You need God to be God in your day. You can't live off of God's reputation, something he did 20 years ago. You know, some of his Christ followers are like, you were walking with Jesus 20 years ago, and you have a great story and testimony how you came to Christ, but it's like nothing's happened in 20 years. And you have wandered and you're back in Babylon, you're far from God, and you're like, hey, when people ask in your life group what's going on, it's like you tell the stories of the good old days. And God says, forget the good old days. I'm the creator God. I'm the same God now as I was then. Come back under my leadership, let me create again. 
And so he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Will you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and the streams in the wasteland because I am in the creator God that takes tohu vabohu and makes beautiful things. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Mm. God, we are so thankful that you are the God who takes tohu vabohu and turns it into beautiful things. And God, as we come to you now, it's time of reflection, a time of worship. We invite you here. God, as your people called by your name, we ask you to hover over this place right now. God, we want to come under. We, 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 we admit that we rebel against your leadership as your creator. We act as if we're our own God. We get our lives in a mess. But God, we need you to be our God. We want to come under your leadership, and we want you to hover. And we ask you to hover now, Spirit of God, over this place and out of this place in this time of worship. Call forth beautiful things. Reveal your vision Causes us to forget the former things because the, the new things are so cool. We're tired of talking about the past. We're talking about what you're doing here and what you're doing now. So God, as we worship you and as we ask you to turn beautiful things, make beautiful things out of the dust of our lives, as we bring your offerings, we pray you'd use these gifts to create beautiful things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, would you stand and we worship? And God, that's a vision that we want to recapture that's been often robbed from us from the mythologies of our day, the competing theories and mythologies of our day that have said there is no God or there's a God, but he's distant or he's in everything and we worship the things that he made instead of the creator himself. We're the result of a random acts of 18 point million billion years of collisions with atoms and molecules and particles and subparticles. God, we've been robbed of our vision of how big and how brilliant and how powerful and how generous and how beautiful and how absolutely good you are. And God, it's a desire of our heart that we would see you for who you are and we would fall down as creature to creator and worship you for all that you deserve. And so, God, we pray that you would hover over this place. You would hover over our lives. And over the next three months, next four months, that week by week, you would guide us. And you would open our eyes and bring us into your presence and reveal to us your true identity and our true identity that we might live and that we might grow and that we might thrive. And so, God, that's our prayer. It's our prayer for our lives. It's a prayer for our church. And we commit it to you in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, well, so great to worship with you today. I hope you can come back uh, next week and continue. As next week, we'll unpack the six days of creation and talk about some of the different views Christians have had uh, on these passages, big picture teachings, but also uh, how do we reconcile the teaching of Genesis 1 with uh, kind of theories of modern science and how does that work? And so I'm sure I'll irritate some people next week, but uh, that's why you come, right? Just to see who I irritate. So, uh, hey, God bless you. Have a great week. May this be a week where you experience the creator in new ways. And may he become in your eyes, not in reality, he is who he is in reality, but in your eyes, may he become bigger and better than you ever imagined. More powerful, more gracious, more generous, more just, more good, more creative, more beautiful than you ever dared to hope. May he become bigger. May we become smaller that our praise may come greater. Amen? Amen? God bless you guys. See you next week. <laughs>